Welcome to Let's Talk Land, an international weekly land education talk show devoted to learning about land and farms, buying, selling, and ownership, especially for real estate agents and realtors. Hey, learn from the experts, guys. This is free land education, hard to find out there. Hi, my name's Lou Jewell, and I'm an accredited land consultant, along with my co-host and partner, Teresa Martin. Good morning, Teresa. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. You're going to have a busy day today? Always. Always. We all do. It's crazy out there. Yep. Hey, we serve western Piedmont, North Carolina, and southern Southern Virginia, so just give us a shout, and we'll help you out. All of our shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute staff and members, and our national website's www.rliland.com. rliland.com. Now listen to me. Um, if you're buying or selling land or farms, go to this website. We have agents, uh, members all over the country. We have over 650 accredited land consultants like myself. We know how to play the game because we're taught how to. So you want to save money when you're buying or you want to make money when you're selling, go to www.rliland.com. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsor, landhub.com. Buying or selling land, Landhub is the place to be. And our other sponsor, Acre Value. Acre Value, if you want to know who owns the field down the road or what it sold for last year, the best place to research land, and it's all free, is acrevalue.com. Teresa, we got a great guest, and guess what? What? This is the sixth time Mr. Riggs has been on our show. Welcome, Russell Riggs. Thank you, Lou. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Thank you, Lou. There we go. Always a pleasure to be here. Oh, yes, sir. Sorry, I couldn't. My tongue got tired. Well, I got a, a, a mouthpiece here, so I kind of blew it myself. But Russell was on, for reference, Podcast 19, Podcast 63, Podcast 103, Podcast 141, Podcast 176, and today's podcast is 206. Russell's the Director of Environment and Sustainable Policy in Washington, D.C., part of the National Association of Realtor and Government Affairs Liaison for the Realtors Land Institute. And I think what you're about your 25th year now, Russell? Uh, 26. Oh, God, yeah, 26. I updated it. Uh, I have to update it every time you're on the show, but... Russell was uh, very important to our industry, and he's going to talk about it. And we have an annual land show uh, for our members. Uh, we were in Denver, uh, usually the first week in March. We'll be in St. Louis next year. We were in uh, uh, San, San, what was it? Uh, San Antonio last year. So we move around the country, and it's a three-day conference, two-and-a-half-day. And Russell... Uh, brings up the end and gives us uh, government affairs of what's going on in Washington as it relates to the land industry. Um, Russell holds a bachelor's degree from Virginia Commonwealth University and a master's degree from Tufts University and New York University. And since 1973, the National Association of Realtors first hired their lobbyists, America's largest trade association has been working together to advance public policies and candidacies to build a strong communities, protect property interests, and promote vibrant business environment. In 2010-2011, NAR ramped up its efforts at the state and local levels by launching the RPAC initiative, Realtors Party Initiative. This includes grants and tools to help state and local real estate association run candidates, and it doesn't matter what party, and issue campaigns and implement smart growth housing opportunity and diversity programs and much, much more. As an advocacy for the group in America that fights exclusively for home ownership, real estate investment, strong communities, and free enterprise system, the Realtors Party is now focused on the right or left or even the middle of the aisle. It is also focused on issues that matter to existing and future homeowners and the real estate industry. So we support candidates and campaigns and engage in community outreach and Realtors Party leverages the association's best asset, its grassroots network of 1.5 million, million Realtors across the U.S. and its territories to work hard on behalf of America's 75 million homeowners that those who aspire one day to own property on their own. So recent years, our local 
level activity has increased. Realtors have gained political clout throughout legislative victories in every corner of the country, state, and local realtors association have expanded their community and political pressure, <coughs> excuse me, all because of the actions of the Realtors Party. And Russell, you're one of the ones that makes it happen. Yes, sir, please. You had, said, you had said that the NAR first hired their hired their first lobbyists in 1973. Right. Just to be clear, I was not one of those people. That oh, come hired. on, Russell. I'm not that old. <laughs> I'm not that old. Well, I am. They could have hired me in 73. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been 24. And I also wanted to give a plug for RPAC, too, which is, yeah. really, you know, it's the biggest pack in the country. And it gives uh, us here in Washington, D.C., the lobbyists and the research people and uh, the uh, public affairs people, it gives us the freedom to go up onto the Hill uh, and uh, advocate for legislation that we like, advocate for legislation that will help property owners. Um, and it gives us the ability to fight legislation that we don't like. Uh, it gives us the ability to go into the White House uh, and make our um, statement and convey our concerns and interests about regulations and policies that the White House and the executive branch are pursuing. And so RPAC is really the, uh, the key tool that we use to effectively advocate on behalf of, of real estate. And I would also say that it's not just for uh, us lobbying in Washington, D.C. at the federal level. It also allows uh, your state and local trade uh, boards and associations to lobby the state legislature, lobby your governors, lobby your city council, your Shelby, uh, your um, county commission, um, and your mayors and what have you to, to affect change at the state and local level, too. So it's really a key tool for us to lobby at all three levels of government. And remember, you know, most of the time, these folks that are on the Hill, the, the politicians that are elected, started at the local level. They start as a uh, city council person or a county commission, and they move up, then they go into the state legislature, and then they go into, the, um, into Congress. And all along the way, we are helping them. We're supporting them. Uh, we have uh, people who uh, know them personally and can call them up on their personal number, their personal cell phone, and, and convey uh, interest or concern about a particular legislation, regulation, or policy. So, you know, RPAC is, uh, is a pretty critical tool. One of the other things about RPAC, one of the interesting things is the fact that it is uh, bipartisan in nature. Um, as an old boss used to say, we make our friends before we need them. Yeah. Power is always going to switch in Washington. But one day you're up, the next day you're down. One day you're in the minority, the next day you're in the majority. So, um, uh, and real estate kind of lends itself to that perspective. Um, everyone needs a house to live in. Everyone um, wants to have that American dream. And so we give uh, our, members, our, our members, we give to members of Congress about 60-40 folks who are in power at the time, majority versus minority, um, because real estate is, is really nonpartisan or bipartisan in nature. And so we support those members of Congress support our issues, whether Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative. That's not really the operating um, principle. For us, the bottom line is, are you supportive of realtors and real estate interests in your voting and in your, um, you know, how you're moving forward legislation and regulation? If you are, then we'll support you. If you don't, talk to us and we'll try to convince you otherwise. I'm sure you That's can do a good RPAC. job. That's my RPAC plug. <laughs> hey, I saw a statistic from our last show, um, and it was a, a, based on the 2020 uh, federal race. 
came on behalf of the Democrats, uh, received about 51 percent of, uh, of our uh, monies, and while uh, the Republicans did 49 percent. So, I mean, that's a clear statement. We're not, we're not partisan and never have been, and that's not the purpose of what we do. Is that correct? That's right. So RLI access to, uh, to uh, NAR lobbyists is very critical in terms of what we're going to be talking about in this show. And um, I want to uh, invite you to, uh, you were kind enough to send me the uh, PowerPoint of your presentation in Denver, and uh, which we usually go over each year. But I'd like to kind of save that towards the end of the show, if that's okay. And uh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, whatever, you, whatever. Well, whatever. no, it's your show, but uh, you know, but we're really the voice of land, the Realtors Land Institute. In fact, that's a slogan that I actually used before they used it, but that's fine. And nothing's new under the sun, but it's shadow. But it's a great slogan, voice of land. And um, and uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about is updating the the uh, WOTUS uh, highlights on water rights. And on uh, uh, the, um, uh, let's see here, uh, implementing the IIJA, we're going to cover that, Russell, a little bit. And the omnibus spending uh, package, some of this is from last year, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we can, yeah, absolutely, there's a lot of things we can cover, lots going on these days. Yeah, <laughs> have we got enough time? <laughs> Never. But Never. that's okay. We'll, we'll talk what we can talk about. Okay. That's all right. All right. So where do you want to start? Well, I mean, I think probably the, the, you know, the best place to start is to talk about the waters of the U.S. if you'd like to. Yeah, let's go for it. That's a good one. And that one's just very... Yeah, I mean, let, let... you know, this is certainly one that has um, been of great interest to members of the Realtors Land Institute. And... You know, I would encourage, encourage your listeners, if you are a member of RLI, I would encourage you to um, go on the RLI website because we have an updated, uh, a kind of a rolling, streaming, updated site on there that provides information about what's happening in Washington, um, especially on the waters of the U.S. regulations. And uh, there's been a lot happening recently. But I, I would encourage you to go on there, and I would also encourage you to come to the uh, to the land conference, which is absolutely the premier land conference in the country. By far, uh, that really touches on just every single aspect of of real estate and being a land professional, and what trends and information and research are are driving the industry and driving uh, national markets. Uh, it really is fantastic. And I would also, if you didn't, if you weren't aware of this, there, um, RLI has a government affairs committee that meets on a monthly basis that discusses uh, all of these different issues, uh, new issues coming, uh, coming, coming around, uh, brand new issues that we might never seen in the past. And uh, these are a group of members who are particularly interested in these issues and in, you know, the government affairs aspect of, 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 um, of these issues and provide input and really provide direction for me in terms of how I'm going to advocate on behalf of RLI members uh, before Congress and the executive branch. So... I would encourage you to, uh, if you can, you know, be a part of that committee, uh, ask to join, and, um, you know, I think you'll, you'll get a lot out of that because it's an important committee. Right. There's well, also tons of other committees that RLI has, but um, I'm, I'm kind of biased towards the Government Affairs Committee because that's the one that I that I participate in sure. the most. So, and, and by the way, so Russell, that being said, yeah. yeah. No, just by the way, we also have that at the state level. Uh, we have our legislative groups too, so each yeah, of the uh, that's right. Each of the yeah. a lot of state, a lot of RLI state chapters have yep. uh, essentially the same kind of uh, structure. Yeah, uh, and they're dealing more. With, they're dealing more with the state, state and local issues uh, as it relates to the yeah. state and, and affecting our real estate industry. 
And I tell you what, right. and this, this is all volunteer stuff. People don't realize this. Um, only people gets paid is Russell and a few other people, and the rest of us volunteer. <laughs> no, I'm serious. But yep. no, we, we are, yep. you know, all these committees and all this stuff, I've been on them. I'm on the Commercial Forums Committee. I've been on the NCRCA Board of Governors, uh, you know, for eight years. And, and it's, it's, it's pro bono. It's, it's, it's giving back. So, you know, kudos or whatever you say to those out there that, you know, take the time to uh, help us all. And, you know, one for yeah. one and all and for all. Some members, I mean, they take a lot of time. Oh, yeah. And a lot of time on RLI business. So Absolutely. That is extremely commendable and, you know, helps the entire industry. So if you like, I can go ahead and turn to the Waters of the U.S. regulations. Russell, guess what? It's known as I got the, hook. the acronym Waters Russell. of the U.S. is WOTUS. Hey, Russell, I got, um, the, I got the hook. Our guest today is Russell Riggs. This is Let's Talk Land. We'd like to thank our sponsors, LandHub.com. LandHub.com is the place to be in Acre Value. If you'd like to know what's going on down the road, go to AcreValue.com. Russell, we want to pick up on your presentation that you did in Denver. Where would you like to start? Well, I think the you know the best issue that the one issue that's really gotten the attention and interest of members of the Realtors Land Institute is the issue of the new WOTUS regulation that has come out. And um, so I, I'd be happy to talk about that for a little while and uh, fill everyone in about the, the latest updates on that because it's been uh, it's been quite busy the past uh, six weeks, uh, really. It, it's been, it, a lot has happened. Um, so let me just talk a little bit about what WOTUS is. WOTUS is an acronym that stands for the Waters of the U.S. And so what is, what is Waters of the U.S.? What is WOTUS? Essentially, WOTUS is the legal definition spelled out in the Clean Water Act that really defines which waters are regulated by the federal government and which waters in the U.S. are regulated by state and local governments. So when you have waters regulated by the federal government, you think of big bodies of water and big rivers like the Chesapeake Bay, or you think of the Mississippi River. Um, and then you also have waters that big tributaries that might feed into those uh, big waters, like the, uh, let's see, the... Um, Yakin River in North Carolina. Creeks, yeah. These little creeks and rivers that flow into the Mississippi River. And another, another area that is also regulated by the Clean Water Act are are wetlands that are adjacent to or touch those big waters and other kinds of waters like that, swamps and bogs and wetlands, things like that. But they're directly adjacent to the big bodies of water, so those are regulated too because you're talking about regulating, making sure we have clean water as a good resource. We have that high-quality water resources in this country. That's critical. That's important. The challenge is when you start getting further and further upstream. So if you have a big river, then you have a little, you know, maybe smaller rivers and creeks and streams that flow into that. Uh, but how about water that came from a wetland way upstream, not really close to any kind of body of water that may be regulated by the Clean Water Act as navigable and as a WOTUS? Uh, that little body, that little stream, a little rivulet of water flows out of a wetland that's isolated uh, down through a um, some kind of a ditch or other kind of man-made conveyance, and eventually flows into the Mississippi River. Should that wetland way upstream, that isolated wetland, should that also be? regulated by the Clean Water Act, that's where it gets to be a real challenge. Because remember, we're talking about regulation. 
And when you something is regulated by the Clean Water Act or the, any other kind of federal regulation, you're talking about permitting, time, expense, um, red tape, and ways that prevent you from use, using the land that you have. Because you've got a little wet spot in the back that's maybe wet for two months out of the year. And that's it. Is that supposed to be regulated by the federal government? Some wet spot in your backyard? So that's where the challenge is. So to really talk about this current rulemaking, we have to we have to go back three presidents to President Obama, who was the first president to move forward with a rulemaking. Um, that tried to define waters of the U.S. Because the definition right now that's in the Clean Water Act is very ambiguous and not well done. And over the years, there have been lots of Supreme Court cases. There has been uh, EPA regulatory guidance. There has been policies and guidance issued by the Army Corps of Engineers. But none of these different attempts have really been able to capture exactly what waters of the U.S. is and which waters are regulated by the federal government, which waters are regulated by the state and local government. So the EPA and President Biden tried to do this. They uh, issued a rulemaking that, from our perspective, swept way more water under the clean water, under the federal jurisdiction of the Clean Water Act. Than, than we were comfortable with or that we thought was even legal. Um, when the Obama rule came out, there are all kinds of waters that uh, are now were now subject to federal regulation that had never been subject to federal regulation before. When, that, when the Obama rule came out, there are lots of questions about lots of technical questions, scientific questions, legal questions about exactly what this rule said and what it did. And as a result, even though the rule um, was finalized and went into effect, it was never fully implemented because of all the legal cases and all the litigation that came forward. And as a result, over half the country um, was not uh, was prohibited by the courts from implementing the rule because of all the questions that were that were outstanding. Hey, Russell, do do our li listening audience a favor, and I didn't mean to interrupt. Can you just briefly yeah. explain that process of, you know, it, the, it's Congress, you know, it's 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 you know, Congress, the Senate, and and and, and they the th they put these out, and then they they enact it, and then. It gets out there, and then you got a group of people in Washington or somewhere that writes up all this stuff that nobody ever sees until it gets out there, you know, and then they try to implement right. So, it, right? Well, the way that the way the whole process, you know, theoretically is supposed to work is Congress passes a law, passes the Clean Water Act, right, um, and directs. You know, a lot of times they direct a, a an agency to actually. Um, write the details of what they want to have happen, and then they implement and enforce that law. And that's exactly what happened here. But it never, it, it never goes back, back but, in the 70s. But it never goes um, back to Congress, right, during that process, the first process, right? What's that? It never sorry, goes, it, no, it never goes back to Congress to review what they decided to do. It just goes, right? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of times they'll, they'll report back, but Keep in mind, or the agency will kind of give a report to Congress about what's been happening. But, you know, keep in mind, Clean the Water Act was passed in the 70s, and this uh, WOTUS rule finally came to, you know, was, was, uh, was created and developed by the EPA and the Corps of Engineers in, you know, uh, 10 years ago. Okay. So there's a big gap. Yeah. Um, in between... Congress writing the Clean Water Act and trying to define WOTUS, and EPA and the Corps finally taking a stab or an approach or an effort to try to actually 
define it in regulation. Okay. And then so, and then um, it goes to court if they don't like one particular part of it, right? It has to go through that process. And in the meantime, right. so, it's on hold, so right? So what happens, you know, the agency creates <clears throat> the, uh, a draft rule, a draft proposal, um, circulates that, uh, provides and allows for uh, public comment. Uh, the public will comment on the proposal, the proposed rule. Um, hopefully, the, hopefully the agency, whatever agency this is, this is I'm speaking very broadly now. I understand. Um, hopefully the agency will take into account um, all those public comments. A lot of them not very helpful. Some, hopefully like ours and other regulated stakeholders, are, are a bit more informed about the true impacts of a particular rule on a particular um, industry sector, and will take that into account when they're actually finalizing the, uh, the final rule. Um, I think in the case of the Obama WOTUS rule, they didn't take into account our comments at all. I, it seemed to me, or it seemed to a lot of the folks here in Washington that were involved in providing very detailed, rigorous, um, scientific, technical, and legal comments to the Corps and the EPA, that they basically ignored the whole, all of them. So that was a little disheartening that they just, um, they just basically tossed our comments in the trash. But that being said, um, the rule was never, the WOTUS rule was never implemented. Like I was saying before, they, you know, it was, um, there were so many legal, technical questions about the rule that they basically states um, uh, were ordered by the courts to not implement the rule. Okay. So that's basically the state of play. Um, president Trump gets in, one of his very, gets his elected president, one of his very first executive orders is to uh, tell the EPA and the Corps of Engineers to rescind the Obama WOTUS rule and develop its own WOTUS, his own, the Trump WOTUS rule. So uh, EPA and the, Corps go, and the Corps go through the exact same exercise of um, creating a WOTUS rule, um, going through public notice and comments, reviewing the comments, and then finalizing a uh, WOTUS rule. That, from our perspective, the Trump replacement was uh, much better. It provided certainty about which waters were uh, were to be uh, regulated by the federal government and which waters were to be regulated by state and local. Um, it provided clarity. The language of the rule itself was much less ambiguous, was more clear, and helped regulated stakeholders understand exactly, okay, this is a water that is regulated by the federal government, and this is not. And and so it, it just provided much a much more streamlined process when you're talking about developing and utilizing property for all different um, industry sectors, farmers, ranchers, uh, people who build pipelines, people who build uh, utilities that that need to build electric, electrical transmission lines, um, home builders who are building homes. All of those sectors and many more rely on this rule to understand exactly uh, how they need to comply with the WOTUS rule. And so from our perspective, the WOTUS rule was, was fine. And as a matter of fact, um, it was being implemented, it went into effect, and was being implemented when President Biden came in. No problems at all. Um, it, it seemed to be really, um, uh, seemed to, people seemed to be quite happy about exactly how the rule was being implemented. And, you know, economic activity was occurring um, under this rule. So President Biden comes in does the same thing that President Trump did. <clears throat> Rescinds President Trump rule and uh, created and finalized a new rule 
that went into effect on March 20th. Russell, can you hold that thought, please, sir? Yeah. This is Russell Riggs. This is Let's Talk Land. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Land Hub. Land Hub is a place to be, and Acre Value. You can find soil maps, crop rotations, landowner names, and even more. So, Russell, uh, let's continue this uh, WOTUS uh, presentation. Quite interesting. Right. And so I was talking about President Biden's WOTUS rule. Um, you know, from our perspective, uh, this rule did the same thing that, uh, that Obama's rule did. Sweeps in more water and does not provide certainty and clarity for regulated stakeholders. And, you know, this is important for our lives for a number of different reasons. This WOTUS rule, uh, in first, and, first and foremost, it infringes on people's property rights. Um, it limits what they can do on their property, particularly if they have a, you know, it's one thing if you have property abutting the Mississippi River or the Shenandoah River, that's to use an example of a river I'm familiar with in Virginia, um, you know, um, you want to make sure that you're keeping your, your, your property clean and, and that uh, the water resource there for the Shenandoah River is, is maintained for everyone. But it's different between that and a wet area in, in your backyard or, on, you know, on five acres that is wet for a month out of the year. Big difference. And so why would you go through the exact same regulatory regime to keep the Shenandoah River clean and healthy as you would in, with that with your wet area on the, the back 40 that's only wet for a couple of months out of the year? You really have to go through the exact same regulatory rigmarole to, to deal with that. You know, it doesn't make any sense. It impacts clients and members' property. You know, if, if you're a member of RLI and you're trying to sell a piece of property, that all of a sudden, under the Biden rule, is regulated by the federal government, that is going to affect the value of that property. Absolutely. And you're not being compensated for that loss of value. And finally, you know, we are in a crisis for housing inventory and affordability. There is a lack of housing for people who want to buy a house, want to buy property. Um, and what property is available is really expensive. And so you're basically, this rule is basically going to affect the ability of people to build affordable housing. And it's going to affect RLI members because if you're a builder, you can't afford to build a house. You're not going to be buying that property to build a new housing development. And so there's a ripple effect all throughout real estate market. That's inflationary. So, That's inflationary, of course, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And so you're basically hindering the ability um, of home builders buy land and build housing, which we desperately need it right now. Um, and so that's why our lot members should care about this. Property rights, uh, the, the regulation itself is ambiguous, unclear, and very expensive, and it hinders affordable uh, and new housing inventory. So, I just wanted to go over um, kind of the, the regulatory and litigation update because there's, there's actually been quite a lot going on in that area. So bottom, um, so bottom line, so Russell. The rule is being, yeah. what's that? No, bottom line, we're, we're still where we were when, uh, yeah. I mean, we're nowhere, right? It, it's just it's just something. Well, not, no, not necessarily. I think we've made some interesting uh, uh, developments here. So, okay. Um, the rule is not being implemented in 27 states because of the fact that the National Association of Realtors, as part of a litigation coalition, asked courts across the country, particularly in North Dakota, 
to uh, enact a preliminary injunction uh, in, in various states. And so the courts acted, and now we are at a position where 27 states are not implementing the Biden WOTUS rule. What about North Carolina? Ending, what ending ver- North Carolina is not one of those states. Okay. Um, but, you know, pending other litigation and uh, the answer to various technical and legal questions. Now, what we're also doing, so we have a preliminary injunction in 27 states okay. that is not implementing the, the, the Biden voters rule. NAR is also part of a litigation coalition that is uh, suing the EPA in the court of Texas. And basically the, the goal and purpose of that litigation is to completely overturn the rule. Russell, does this have to go to the Supreme Court eventually? It might. It, it very well could. You know, if the EPA and the court, if we win and the EPA and the court decide to keep fighting, which I, I assume they will, then it very well could could go to the Supreme Court. Now, we're, we're, you know, we're a long way from that. A lot of dominoes have to fall before that actually happens. Um, and so uh, we're just, right now, we're dealing with our, with our lawsuit in Texas, and uh, hopefully we can, we can prevail um, in that court, and then we'll, we'll, move, we'll move on from there. Take it from there. Okay. But I was quite heartened by the fact that 27 states are now, you know, are not implementing the Lotus Rule. We got to convince the other half of the country not to do it as well, and we have some um, some requests for preliminary injunction in those states as well. So we'll have to see how that all shakes out. So that's where we are with the Lotus Rule. Um, uh, with the Biden voters rule. And again, we have, an, you know, uh, uh, there are uh, lots of people who have big problems with this rule. There was a Congressional Review Act effort. The Congressional Review Act is basically uh, an effort that Congress can do to overturn a regulation within a certain period of time. They have 60 legislative days. If there's a regulation that has come uh, come through the executive branch, Congress doesn't like, and they can actually overturn it. Now, Congress actually voted to overturn the WOTUS rule, the Biden WOTUS rule. It passed the House, and it also passed the Senate, which was, given that it's, you know, Democrats in the majority of the Senate, was actually a surprising development. Um, Biden vetoed that uh, Congressional Review Act piece of legislation, and there was an effort in the House and the Senate side to overturn that veto. Unfortunately, that failed. It requires a much higher bar to overturn right. a veto. You have to have two-thirds majority right. to actually overturn a presidential veto. And uh, it failed in the House, and at this point, I don't think the Senate's going to take it up. But I thought that was a great effort. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you know, a lot of this is, is political messaging. And a lot of this is making sure that uh, the issue is kept on people's radar screens, um, that the issue is discussed, and there's, you know, it's, a, it's, an, it's an effort to raise awareness about the concerns that this rule brings up. And so I think from that perspective, the whole Congressional Review Act effort was a success. So if you got a puddle in your backyard, you may want to call your legislators and say, hey, stay on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm serious. Exactly I mean, right. that's how it happens, right? Yeah. The one that gets the most mail and the most contacts, and, you know, that's how you that's put pressure on them. Yeah, that's how yeah, it works. Listen, listen, I mean, and that's the beauty of RPAC again. Go back to that. Um, members of Congress listen to their constituents. They really do. If you're a voter and you're in in the district, they're going to listen to you more than they're going to 
constituents calls up or writes an email or comes to the district office and, you know, says this is a big problem, they're going to listen to that constituent a lot more than they're going to listen to me. And that's a good point. And that's a good point, Russell. If, uh, you know, if you're the, um, the, uh, the person that NAR has selected to kind of be the uh, person in their district, that knows him personally, you know, uh, you're a realtor, you may have gone to high school with the person or sold him his house or sold him some property, and you live in his district, he's going to listen to you. And RPAC makes all that happen. And you can go to your local, you can go to your local district office too. And I mean, locally, you don't have to go sure. to Washington. No, not at all. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this, Russell. That's why yeah. I want to bring it out. Okay, so we we re, are we retiring WOTUS and moving on here? And talking yeah, I think about housing we can move supply. On. So, um, <laughs> that was a great presentation. Thank you, Russell. Um, I mean, one of the things that, um, and this affects real estate markets all across the country, everywhere. Sure does. Um, and it is still very relevant. Is the crisis in housing supply and inventory? And I know that you've heard about this. So much discussion has been going on. We need, according to NAR's research, we need five to six million housing units. Teresa, we could probably sell those in a day, right? What's that? I was telling Teresa, we probably could sell those in a day or a week. Yeah. It's crazy out there. Yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a great, huge demand, pent up demand. Um, for housing purchase, and there's no inventory. There's no houses to sell. Um, new construction, it's really hard to build uh, an affordable new house because of all the regulations. The National Association of Home Builders has estimated that 25% of the cost of a new home is due to all the regulatory really? and building code requirements. I wonder if that's why my house that didn't are on yeah. when you're trying to build a new house. Yeah, and that's why some of these aren't appraising. Yeah. You know, they can't appraise it. We've got one. Teresa just sold one. It's a, it's a for a home builder, the lot. And, uh, of course, the appraiser comes out, and he has to appraise a house that's not even built. And the appraisers say, well, you know, the people that just bought built a house, they're not selling. So we have to go back two or three years, and that's when the prices were lower. And that's why we can't appraise these houses with the current cost. Yeah, my house appraised 15000 under what it was going to cost to build it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so that's a real, you know, that's a real concern. And so the question that NAR, um, NRLI has been grappling with, because remember, this, has, this impacts RLI members as well. Absolutely. Um, uh, again, uh, you know, if there is, um, if no houses are being built, no property is being sold. And if you have so many regulations tacked on to building a house, homeowners are just going to throw up their hands and walk away. Yeah, well, a lot of them That's have. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. That's what happened so to the my question husband. that we have to ask ourselves is, um, what are some of the solutions? Particularly for building some of this, uh, at least to make it at least affordable for uh, you know a first-time home buyer to come in and and buy a house. I don't know about you, but my uh, you know my son and daughter are both in their uh, late twenties, and um, I, I don't know how they're gonna buy a house. Yeah, we we deal with this all the time. Yeah, we deal with this every day. It's uh, yeah. So. But so what are some of the solutions? Well, I mean, unfortunately, there's not really a silver bullet out there. Obviously, inflation. Um, you need to have inflation to come down because that's having a dampening effect on, on everything, on the entire economy. So we need to get a handle on inflation. Um, we need to get building supplies and building materials moving. Because there's still a supply or, or a um, supply and distribution problem. 
country and across the globe in terms of moving goods from point A to point B. That's still a problem. Um, we need to figure out building materials and reduce the cost of those. I'm sure you, you've seen the lumber, prices of lumber going up, going down, going up, going down, skyrocketing. Well, I see the timber prices, you know, the standing timber, you know, um, and getting that. Yeah, I mean, it's been a real roller coaster for that. need to get a handle on uh, the tariffs. You know, let's not hamstring our local, our own uh, timber comp- timber industry um, by allowing cheaper exports. And what we also need to do is, mon- I think most important, if we want to start building new construction, we need to modernize our zoning laws. In a lot of our zoning laws, are archaic. They were, they were created and implemented back in the 1950s and 1960s. Yeah. North Carolina, by the way, we're going through the state has mandated the counties to try to equalize everyone. But we have an interesting thing that um, our minimum lot they're proposing is two acres. And this is just outrageous. So, you know, <laughs> but yeah, that's going on the, here locally. The minimum lot is yeah, it's two, two acres. acres. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think that's passing. Well, I probably will. Yeah, I think, you know, a little more density would probably be a little better, and it would allow you to build more houses. Yeah, but we're we're a rural area, so, you know, it doesn't affect us like the bigger urban areas. Yeah. But still, it's yeah. uh, as a developer, it's, uh, again, uh, the purchase of the land, you don't have the same ratio because you're losing 50% of your potential income. Right. Well, and that gets into the... Um, you know, let's modernize our zoning, and let's also reduce uh, our permitting and regulatory burden. Yeah. You know, yeah. even if you're talking about um, everything going perfectly, it generally takes seven to ten years to get through the whole permitting process, well, which is just crazy yeah. for yep. any kind of big new development. By the way, by the way, and when I say that, when I say streamline, I don't mean Let's cut corners. I mean, let's find ways that we're building the same high-quality product, not cutting any kind of corners in terms of safety or environmental review, but streamlining the process so there's not a lot of duplication. Yeah. By the way, Russ, you got about eight min- You got about eight minutes. Okay, help you out. Um, what's that? You got about eight minutes. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so so let's, re- so I think taking all, all of that together, hopefully that will start to slowly break this log jam of, of builders not wanting to build. Um, and hopefully that will start, um, um, you know, the process of getting more inventory into markets that desperately need it. So what's the LKEs, uh, the 1031s? What's going on there? Yeah, That's important I to mean, us, too. This is, you know, 1031s are critical to, 1031 like-kind exchanges are a critical tax tool that has a lots of benefits and is used by so many economic sectors across the country, in particular um, land. In real estate, without 1031, um, real estate would be couldn't operate effectively. It would have a real difficult, or, or it would have a real serious impact on the real estate industry. Because a lot of times, for example, farmers utilize 1031. To, um, when they're done with the farm and they're retiring, giving it to their their kids or whatever, or selling it, they utilize the 1031 because they're land rich. So they can utilize the 1031 like kind exchange to exchange that uh, that fantastic farm for some other kind of property. Like kind exchanges accelerate economic recovery. 
generates over $55 billion of real estate value per year. It promotes uh, like-kind exchanges, promote land conservation and mitigation. And like I mentioned before, provides a critical tool for retirement savings. So there's just lots of benefits to these. And so every year uh, or every couple of years, Congress starts talking about tax reform. And every every couple of years, uh, they present some kind of a tax reform plan. And doggone it, wouldn't you know that uh, like-kind exchanges are front and center. Yeah. It's how they're going to completely, you know, redo the tax uh, the tax structure. And they're, they're finally going to start getting some revenue from like-kind exchanges. And so every couple of years, NAR and RLI do a fantastic job, particularly the members of NAR and RLI, do a great job contacting their congresspeople, staff, and saying, do you remember we did this two years ago? Yeah. <laughs> where we had to educate you about the importance uh, to the entire American economy about the importance of like-kind exchanges. Well, here we go again. Russell, with about five uh, minutes, let's go to the farm bill because that's real important too. And I think that's our last issue. Yeah. And so so we're, um, yeah, so we engage in, um, continue to engage in House and Senate tax committees. We update our research and analysis about the micro and macro benefits of like-kind exchanges and of just ongoing efforts to educate our members about their importance and members of Congress. And so finally, just um, one thing that we've talked about quite a bit is uh, the Farm Bill. Um, you know, it gets reauthorized every five years. And right now, they are beginning their discussions. It actually expires this year. I have a feeling that uh, the Farm Bill would not be reauthorized this year. I think they're going to shoot for uh, 2024 when they're going to reauthorize it. But a lot of discussions are happening right now. Um, and I think some of the issues from a, uh, a land perspective, I think some of the issues that they're going to bring up, they, they're going to want to try to do some enhanced disaster assistance for farmers. They want to beef up the rural loan program. There's a lot going on right now, but they want to do more and provide more rural loans for farmers and property owners in rural areas. Um, more support for small rural financial institutions, um, you know, banks and lenders that that loan in rural areas for housing and other and other reasons, and provide more support for for those critically important financial institutions. And finally, I think um, another area in the uh, whatever reauthorized farm bill comes around. I think they want to um, look at energy energy issues through farms and agriculture. You know, what can how can agriculture produce energy either through biomass or putting um, solar panels, planting solar panels instead of corn, what have you? They want to look at ways that they can um, maximize energy production through uh, the agricultural sector. So those are just some, some quick hits. And um, I will, of course, keep everyone apprised as that process moves forward to reauthorize the Farm Bill. Russell, you always do. How many how many uh, people in your staff up there that you're part of? Um, we have uh, in the, the Washington, D.C. office, at NAR, we have about um, 200 people in our advocacy, research, and our um, public affairs groups are all in the Washington, D.C. office. 
And by the way, we're talking about RPAC, but, you know, there's more than the realtors out there. And you don't have to be a real. Do you have to be a realtor to contribute to RPAC? Um, uh, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I guess if you're just a random person, you could. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I, you know, concerned citizens that have farms, or concerned citizens that have property, or builders, or I, I know they've got their own lobbyists. But you know, seems like we get a lot done, don't we? Well, how about reporting to me on that, if you don't mind, if you do some investigation, and, um, and I'll make that part of my introduction, okay, uh, on my future shows. Uh, okay. Because, uh, th- th- you know, we're in, we're in critical times uh, right now. I'm 73 and been through a lot of stuff over the years, and, and uh, you know, there, there's some stuff that's really hurting us that needs to be taken care of. And, and uh, you know, I guess someday somebody will listen. Uh, we hope so, but the way to do it is support you know, groups like uh, our RPAC and what you guys are doing for NAR and specifically for our lives that relates to land issues. But uh, anyway, that'd be interesting to uh, know. I know I contribute, and, and I ask everybody on my shows, you know, I remind the re- realtors to uh, uh, contribute to RPAC. My office is required to contribute to RPAC. <laughs> Not, you know, it's a volunteer, but, you know, we encourage it. But, uh, it, you know, and it doesn't have to be a lot of money. Uh, you know, we've got some that give a lot, but, you know, just a little bit uh, helps everything. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, like I said, it, it, it keeps the, keeps, it's the uh, lubrication that keeps the wheels turning. And, uh, and, and we, yep. s- we seem to be going in a positive, positive way. So, uh, Russell, last word. What gets you up in the morning? I mean, listen, I love what I do. Yeah, I It's always know you exciting, do. always something new, yeah. always something challenging. And uh, working for realtors in the real estate industry, are, they're great people and salt of the earth and love their, their local community. And um, I love figuring out ways to uh, best uh, represent them and advocate for them in Congress. Well, thank you for your dedication, Russell, and uh, pass that on to the others up there. We do know what they do, and we appreciate it, believe me. Uh, how do you get in touch with you, Russell? My email address is rriggs, R-R-I-G-G-S, at N-A-R dot Realtor. And you guys have a website, too, right? Or is that through the RLI? Uh, well, yeah, N-A-R has a website, yeah. yeah. N-A-R dot Realtor. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know how you like the show. All questions and comments are welcomed. This show is for the public, but most importantly for real estate agents who do not have a source of land educations. All of our shows can be found on our master website, letstalkland.net. That's dot net. Also on Spotify and Podbean. Teresa, how do they get in touch with you? They can email me at teresa.mylandpro at gmail.com or call me at 336-209-2937. And my email is lou, L-O-U, at mylandpro.com. You can call me at 336-669-1405. And our company website is www.mylandpro.com. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsors, landhub.com. Are you looking to buy or sell land? Landhub.com previews thousands of properties net you might. That's landhub.com. And AcreValue, today's sponsor. If you want to know who owns the field down the road or what sold last year, the best place to research land, it's all free, is AcreValue.com. Ronnie, how do they get in touch with us here? Well, Lou, they can go to our website, go to WKT1090.com, and also they can download the Simple Radio app near us anywhere in the world. Would Chad know what the Simple Radio app is? Mm, maybe. We've talked about it so many times. About 206 times. Yeah, so might, might know how that works. Yeah. yeah. And when you do that, what happens? Where does it go? No, it goes worldwide. What? Yeah. So that's why we're an international show, right? That's right, yeah. Uh-huh. All over the world. And what do we play, Teresa? Happy music. We want people to feel good. That's Be- right. Music and Be all happy. Music.
And we've won some awards, right? Yeah, eight years in a row being the top beach and oldies radio station. Oh, that's happy music. Yes, it is. And you won a nice award. Yeah, the Reader's Choice Announcer of the Year Award. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Well, we'll see you next week, and we thank Russell for his presentation this morning.